0: Now, to a disputed presidential election between two very senior political figures with the threat of post-election violence. No, we're not talking about America 2020 or 2024. It's the latest presidential election in Kenya. On the 9th of August, Kenyans went to the polls for the third time under the country's 2010 constitution. The presidential showdown was between incumbent deputy president William Ruto and long-time opposition leader Raila Odinga, who's also a former prime minister. After the close-run election, William Ruto was declared the winner, but Ryla Odinga has slammed the announced result as a travesty, and now it seems they're headed to the Supreme Court. So, can Kenya trump the US when it comes to a peaceful transfer of power? Patrick Gathara is a journalist, and award-winning political cartoonist based in Nairobi. He's also the editorial curator of the independent Kenyan website, The Elephant, and I spoke with Patrick earlier. Thanks for having me. Patrick, could you give us a a quick outline of the career of the two presidential candidates?
1: Both Raila Odinga and William Ruto, who is the president-elect, have been in and out of government for about 30 years or so. Ruto, who kind of started his political career as a youth activist for the then president, Nela Moy and the Kanu Party, that was a party of independence. In the 1990s, as we had changed the constitution to allow multi-party elections. He went into electoral politics, has been in parliament uh, since then, has been minister, you know, um, both in the Kanu government and in the Kibaki government that followed. Then we had that really fraught election in 2007 um, that resulted in lots of violence. And in the aftermath of that, you had a coalition uh, government, In that government, Raila Odinga was the prime minister. Ruto, who then supported Raila Odinga, was also a minister uh, in that. And it was a government that was really fraught with corruption, as pretty much all our governments have been. So yeah, Ruto comes to, to his presidency with a lot of baggage. He was indicted by the International Criminal Court for crimes against humanity. That case was dropped after he became uh, deputy prime minister since uh, uh, till present. So in terms of Raila Odinga, he's been really prominent in the fight to democratize Kenya. He was detained for quite a long while by Daniel Moy. And I think Kenya owes a big, big debt to him for the freedoms that we enjoy today. But that said, he also has quite a lot of baggage. He stood for elections in 1997 for president. After he lost that, Daniel Moy was again re-elected. He went into a coalition with Daniel Moy, and then he was quite instrumental in getting Moy Kibaki elected. But they fell out very, very quickly. And that set us up for, in 2007, a really acrimonious campaign between Kibaki and Raila for the presidency that then led to the violence that we saw in 2008. He then became prime minister with uh, Kibaki as president. And, and it was quite an acrimonious time that they had in government. In 2013, he ran for the presidency again, lost challenged the result in court and lost that and became de facto leader of the opposition, although he wasn't actually in parliament. So he's been kind of at the forefront of keeping governments accountable. I think many Kenyans will recognize him as kind of like the doyen of opposition politics, as his father was before him.
0: Patrick, how much confidence can or should we have in the accuracy of the election result that was declared by Kenya's Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission? That result, of course, was announcing that Deputy President William Ruto narrowly defeated Ryla Odinga. But then, of course, we saw a very public split within the Electoral Commission within minutes after that announcement.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's true that the announced result from the IABC has been questioned by the losing coalition, and we've got to keep in mind it's only the presidential result that they seem to be challenging at the moment, although there might be issues with other races as well. Hmm. How confident can we be? I think fairly confident. This has been probably Kenya's most transparent election, and all things point to the result that was announced as a fair reflection of how people voted. The other thing to keep in mind is that there had been a prediction done by the election observers group, which is a local group. And what they had done was basically an exit poll Hmm. about what uh, results would be and what the IBC announced seems to be within the range that they had uh, pointed out. Now, that's not to say that there might not be problems that are highlighted in the coming days. The losing coalition is yet to really publicly present its beef with the IABC. They've spoken a bit about allegations that there was rigging, but there's no detail to it. And I think we're all waiting to see whether they're going to present evidence to back up their claim. The electoral commission is made up of seven commissioners. So four of them disputed the result as well and disowned it. But when they had a press conference, some of the allegations they made did not hold up. So we're not really sure that they are credible when they say that um, there are problems with the result that was announced.
0: Yes, there did seem to be a lot of optimism leading into the election about its transparency and fairness. But you've yourself written that since the election, the situation has degenerated at the last minute into farce and acrimony. Could you give us your assessment of the current situation in terms of the stability of the Kenyan political system?
1: In the immediate aftermath of the uh, result being announced, we had some really troubling scenes where the tallying, the official tallying was happening. We saw some scuffles, some violence, and that was not good. For me, it was quite reminiscent of what had happened in 2007.
0: That really is the spectre that sort of looms over this whole situation, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Following another disputed election in 2007, we had like two or three months of really awful violence where about 1,300 people or so were killed and hundreds of thousands were displaced. I think that has loomed over every election since, Mm. the need to avoid that sort of uh, scenario when we saw scaffolds in the tallying hall that were quite reminiscent of what had happened just before the violence broke out in 2007. Now, for me, that this came on the back of our most transparent election, or what most Kenyans would say, you know, that we've never had an election that's been this open. That it came on the back of that, on the back of reforms that we've been carrying out since we instituted a new constitution in 2010, I think was very worrying. But I've got to say that after the first day, tension has dissipated. And I think many people who may have doubts about the the announced outcome are really looking forward to a court case, that this will be challenged at the Supreme Court, which is the the only court where uh, presidential results can be challenged. And I think that has kind of dissipated the tensions. One of the big problems in 2007 was that there was no credible judiciary that could oversee any challenge to the outcome. Mm. That ended up being prosecuted in the streets. Today, it's quite different.
0: And I suppose, Patrick, that really raises the question, is the judiciary in 2022 a credible arbiter of the election dispute? And is their adjudication likely to be accepted by the competitors?
1: Yes. Since 20. in 2010, we've had a process of reforming the judiciary. We've seen the judiciary become much, much more assertive than it was in the 40 years prior. You know, we've seen not just a presidential election reverse in 2017, and that election had been won by the incumbent, President Uhuru Kenyatta, but also we've seen increasingly legislation that is passed by parliament being thrown out because it is not consistent with the constitution. Um, this wouldn't be the first time a presidential election is challenged in court in the last uh, 12 or so years. In fact, every presidential election has been challenged, and people have lived with the decision that the Supreme Court made. So I don't think it's going to be different this time around. And because in 2017, the Supreme Court did reverse an election that the incumbent won and order a new one. I think there's quite a lot of faith that if indeed they do identify any shenanigans that went on in this one, they're quite likely to reverse it as well.
0: And when you say reverse it, Patrick, is the only scenario there that the election has to be rerun? Or is it possible that the Supreme Court could simply say, no, Mr. Odinga is in fact the victor and he should become president?
1: No, I don't think the Supreme Court would announce a different verdict from what the IABC says. I think they've been quite strong in defending the independence of the IABC and uh, insisting that it's the IABC's role to actually Call the elections. Now, obviously, they will hold it to account with regard to whether it complies with the Constitution and uh, with our Elections Act, as they did in 2017, but it's not really the Supreme Court's job to decide who won. What they have to decide is whether the election was run in accordance to the laws that we have. And in the case that they find that it wasn't, I think the only option they have is to invalidate the result and to order a rerun of the election. I've got to mention one other thing. When they had their press conference, Raila Odinganis, and his mere team, did not openly or specifically commit to going to the Supreme Court. What they said was that they would pursue all legal and constitutional means. And I think the vagueness of that, that uh, might cause some a bit of worry because Obviously, our constitution protects the right to protest, the right to have street demonstrations that they want to prosecute, or they're considering prosecuting this, not just in the courts, but also in the streets. In which case, the potential for that degenerating into violence then becomes quite high. My hope, and I think the hope of most Kenyans is it will go to the Supreme Court and that it will be adjudicated. And I think that's probably going to be the likely outcome here.
0: In terms of the public statements of Mr Odinga and Mr Ruto, are you equally confident that each would accept the result of an adjudicated outcome?
1: Yes, uh, I think the public pressure on them to accept whatever the court decides would be immense. I think following on from 2017, I think it's going to really be almost political suicide for them. To refuse to accept what the courts decide unless the courts do something that is sort of egregiously stupid. But I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that um, if they do go to court that they will accept and live by the outcome. Don't forget the last two challenges, actually three challenges, because the election that was rerun in 2017 was also challenged in court again. All those challenges have come from uh, Ray Lodinga. And he's always accepted the outcome. So I don't think that there is reason to believe that this would be any different.
0: Well, Patrick, Gathara, thank you so much for explaining the situation for us and giving us what sounds like a, a cautiously optimistic assessment of the state of play. And we'll keep our fingers crossed for no uh, egregious stupidity from the Supreme Court to uh, to ruin all that. And hopefully there will be a peaceful transition of power from the current president to whoever that may be. Thank you very much for speaking with us on Sunday Extra. Thanks for having me. That was Kenyan journalist and political cartoonist Patrick Kathara. And this week I also spoke with an expert on the Kenyan constitution, Dr Charles Oyaya. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.